Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. As amazing as it can be to have an awesome earthly father, if you didn't have an earthly father, you can still be just as okay as if you did because you have a heavenly father who loves you, who is perfect, and who will father you in every way that you let him, every single way. And so I would love to see the church um, stop blaming. You know, here's the thing. We bring up, you know, the sins of the, gener- of the fathers are passed down for three and four generations. There's also a verse that says that his kindness flows for a thousand generations to those that love him. It also says that Jesus became the curse, for cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. He also said, you have one father who's your heaven, who's, I mean, who's in heaven. And so... If what you expect in life comes from who your father is, then you should have great expectations because he's a good, good father. He's actually perfect. And if what comes through your life is either the blessing for righteousness or the curse for sin, you can thank God that the father that you have is as righteous as any father has ever been, that there's never been an ounce of sin, and that what's coming to you from him is goodness, mercy, grace, and peace. You can thank God for that. And I, I know that that ruins some counseling sessions and that, you know, that, that take, because seriously, we always want to have someone to blame. Like we want to find out who's the reason why, what's my, you know, the reason for your problem, sin, you know, the answer for that, Jesus, it's not to try to find a, a way for your earthly father to be perfect. Stop praying for him to be fixed so that you can be okay, be okay. And maybe your life will shine so that he'll actually become what you want him to become because he'll become who he's supposed to be when Jesus was died on a cross for him, when he gave his life for him. Come on, listen, we, it feels really good for someone to tell you that someone else is your problem. It's a lie. I'm just going to leave that there. You can dig through your Bible and prove me wrong. You might end up proving me right. Um, but on the other hand, side of that, there's something I do want to talk about today um, that's kind of the other side. Well, it is because the other side of that coin, because, you know, we say things like, I don't need you to be okay for me to be okay. We hear people say things like that. And, and, and there is truth to that, but there's also the other side of that truth. Um, because how many know that there's truth in the kingdom that, that is often is held in tension, right? So there's this thing where, where, like, you have one truth here and another truth there, and they hold each other in tension, and both of them are truth. And so you have to just find both sides of the truth so that you can live in it. If we open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 5, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 25, and we're going to go through Galatians 1. Because when, when uh, this letter was originally sent to the church at Galatia, um, Paul didn't send it one chapter at a time. And when you read his letters that way, sometimes it does us harm because you get to the end of a chapter and think that that was the end of a thought. And you may leave yourself with confusion if you don't continue to read because what he wrote after starting the next chapter many times ties into the way he ended what we call the chapter. So this was just a letter sent by Paul. We put it in chapters and verses because it makes it easier for us to identify and study and talk about where we're at. But truthfully, if you read the letters, you have to make sure that you can finish a thought, not just finish a chapter. Um, So Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. So you see how he's continuing this thought. It's this continual thought. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, not becoming boastful and challenging one another or envying one another. And he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
God, I just thank you for this word. I thank you that, and it's alive, God, that today as we speak and we, we read and we, we talk about it, your words, that the Spirit of God would open our ears and our minds and our hearts, that we would hear your voice, God, and know your truth that can be found in your word, that it would change our lives, God, that we would look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday because truth has come. Father, we thank you for that. I thank you that, that this word would produce a fruit in our lives, God, that a world that's lost, that does not know you, would taste and see your goodness through the fruit of our lives. By the Spirit of God in us, in Jesus' name, amen. So, so here's this verse, and, and he's, he's saying that, you know, don't, that if, if we live by the Spirit, we should also walk by the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, look, you're born again by the Spirit, and, and so your life was actually changed. You were brought from death into life. Right, so there was this moment where you became born again. We call it salvation, um, you know, new birth, whatever you want to call it. But you stepped out of the kingdom of darkness, and he placed you into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves, into the kingdom of light. That that time happened for everybody. Some people have this moment where they remember exactly how it happened, and for some people, it was kind of this thing where it was more gradual, right? And and you you kind of knew, but then you knew to a greater level, and then you knew to a greater level, and suddenly you look back and you say, "Man, I, I, this happened to me," but I don't know the exact. moment moment that I could say it was in that second where it happened. And so, um, you, you know, like you might have been young and you learned that you needed a savior. And so you said, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, I, and, he, and you believed he died on a cross and God raised him from the dead. And, and the Bible says that if you believe that he died and that God raised him from the cross, you believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that you're saved. And you may not know the second that that salvation happened because it was something that you believed and then you knew a greater truth. And then you believed to a greater extent. And it was a continuing unfolding revelation. And then for some people, there's that moment where they come to the end of themselves in a second. They look at themselves. They see Jesus for what he's done. And they realize, I need a savior. And, they, and, and their life has changed in a moment because they step in that second from this to that. And so well, however it happened for you, at some point you stepped out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his son whom he loved. And that happened by the spirit of God coming and taking up residence inside of you, by you receiving the forgiveness that was paid for when he died on a cross. And so you became alive in Christ by the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. And he says, so if you became alive this way, let us also walk this way. In other words, it's not enough to just say, well, I'm born again, and then live your life ignorant to the fact that now that you're born again, you're supposed to live life differently than you did before you were born again. You had an old master that sat on the throne before you were born again. It was you. You served yourself. Everything you did was to make you happy, to make yourself happy. If you lied to people, it's because you thought that the consequence of lying was greater than the, the, the responsibility to tell the truth. And so you'd said whatever needed to be said in the moment. Or if you took something, if you stole, it was because what you wanted outweighed your care for anybody else but yourself. And what you wanted mattered most. And so you were a slave to yourself. And then all of a sudden, you understand that there's an actual king who belongs on the throne of my life, and his name is Jesus. And my life no longer becomes about me. I die to myself, and he becomes king. And now there's a new way of living. And so Paul's saying, listen, this is how you were born again. This is how you live. This is also the way in which you should walk. And he says, look, even, he says, don't become boastful. Don't become envy. Don't start challenging each other. Even if one of you is caught in trespass. Like, in other words, even if you see sin in someone's life, it's never an excuse for you to step outside of living by the Spirit. Another person's sin is never a reason for you to respond or live differently than the Spirit of God calls you to live. You can't say, well, yeah, but if they. No, here's the truth. They're showing you something's wrong. The response should never deviate from the Spirit of God. In fact, maybe they need you to live Christ-like in that moment more than any other time because in that moment, they're caught in something. He says, even if you see him caught in sin, he says, you who's spiritual, 
Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Not harsh. Not angry and, and, and condemning. You gently restore somebody. You come to them and your heart is for them. And so you see the sin for what it is and you hate that thing. But you desperately love the person. And people say all the time, well, yeah, you know, people say hate the sin, love the sinner, but that's impossible to do. And who can really do that? It's because their experience has been that people actually confuse sin with sinners and they start to actually hate people instead of hating the thing that actually is enslaving people. They forget that we battle not against flesh and blood and they make the, the battle all about battling against the person rather than seeing the spirit that's behind what's happening and loving the person. It, it's so easy for, for a parent to understand this. And I know you can understand it without that, but, but when you have a child and, and your child does something you've told them not to do, you can absolutely hate what they've done while never losing sight of who they are, never stopping loving them, never ever seeing them differently just because they've done something that you've asked them not to do. And so this is what he's saying. He says, in looking to yourselves that you too will not be tempted. It doesn't always mean that, look, if, you know, if somebody's struggling with lying, make sure as you're ministering to them that you don't start lying, that it doesn't get on you, so to speak. I think what he's saying is you might be tempted to fall into sin because if you start looking at people's sin and you start wanting to correct them, you can get caught up in pride and self-righteousness. You can start challenging and boasting and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to because you're seeing what's wrong with somebody, but rather than responding with truth, you actually allow that to be a source of pride. You start comparing yourselves amongst yourselves. And he's saying, listen, don't allow that to happen to you. Restore them gently. I mean, here's what I really want to talk about. He says this, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, you're witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You realize, like, in both of these verses, Paul's saying in one, he says, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. In the other one, he says, we were encouraging you, we were exhorting you, we were imploring you. That word implore there means testifying or modeling by the way that we lived our life, witnessing to you. He says, that, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You are worthy as a person because he felt that you were worthy of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You understand that your worth could never be defined by your actions. Your worth is not because of the good that you did. In fact, while you were yet in sin, God sent his son to die for us. But do you understand that there's a manner of living which we're called into, which is worthy of the God who called us? Do you understand that, that your worth of who you are in Christ is never changing, but that the way that you live your life Paul said, we were encouraging you, we were exhorting you, and we were imploring you so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God. In other words, there's a way that you can walk that's actually not worthy of the God who called you. You can settle for less than what he has for you. If that's not true, then they're wasting their time exhorting, encouraging, and imploring you to walk this way. And sometimes we get so caught up in this identity thing of, of who I am in Christ that we forget that who I am in Christ and the way that I live my life can be separated if I allow them to be. And I can stand over here and know that I'm worthy of God's love because he sent his son to die on a cross. But that should also bring me to a place of walking in a manner that reflects who I am. And so Paul's saying, listen, we've been, we've been exhorting and encouraging you. And here's the thing that I want to talk about is this, is that in both of these cases where it talks about the way that we live, it involves other believers. 
Both of these instances where he says, walk not according to the Spirit, um, uh, walk according to the Spirit, and where he says, walk according to the uh, worthy of the manner of God who called you. Both of these involve the actions of other people. One says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the law of Christ. You understand that there's a side of the law of Christ, which was love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, that can't be fulfilled apart from bearing each other's burdens. Well, then flip that around. Then that means that if that's the case, then there's a part of my life that isn't submitted to the law of God if I'm not allowing another person to bear my burdens. Because for someone to bear my burden, I actually have to let them. I actually have to give you permission to come in and bear my burden. I can't just, it's, it, there's places he talks about praying for each other. There's places where he talks about encouraging one another. And he talks about um, uh, interceding for one another. And those, I, can, I can pray for you and I can intercede from you apart from your knowledge and apart from you allowing me to. But I can't bear your burden unless you actually allow me to do so. Unless you physically let me into your life and you become vulnerable enough where you say to me, look, this is, sometimes you can see the cross someone's carrying. And sometimes you can't. And sometimes it, all it takes is someone coming to you and saying, listen, man, I just, God's really put you on my heart, and I've been praying for you, and I just need to know, is there anything going on that I can help you with? And so that's the part that's on us. But there's also responsibility on the person that we come to to open up and to not feel like they have to be Superman and to not feel like it makes them less than spiritual for them to say, you know, actually, I've been struggling with this or this has been really bothering me or I feel like I've been being attacked in this area. It doesn't make you less than spiritual. Here's the truth. Jesus is our example in all things. And as they pressed, as they made him carry the cross, it said as he was carrying his cross, the Roman soldiers pressed a man named Simon into service and he went and carried Jesus' cross for him for a while. Why didn't Jesus step back and look at him and say, I don't need your help. See, I understand that I don't need you to be okay for me to be okay, meaning there's no individual on earth that has the ability to keep me from being who Christ called me to be. But if we as a body don't do the things that God calls us to as a body, I honestly believe that we will settle for less and we won't see the fullness of what we could walk in unless we would actually do what God's called us to do as a body of believers, one for another. And so the burden for that is on two parts. It's on our part to do what God's called us to do, and it's on, the other, it's on our part to allow people to do what God's called us to do. And if one of those is lacking, we'll settle for less than the fullness that we could walk in in Christ. I know this because it says that, that bearing one another burdens thereby fulfills the law of Christ. Think about this. I, I wrote this down because I, I want to get this. I, I want to make sure I say this the way that I felt like the Lord showed me. It says, I wrote, there can be the mistake of taking a statement like I don't need you to be okay for me to be okay, which is true. I want you to be okay, but it's not my excuse for not being who God's called me to do. And, and that can't be tied to any individual person. Because if it is, then I'm only doing as well as they're doing. If, if, if any individual person has the ability to determine how I'm doing, then my ability to be okay is tied to that person and not to what Jesus has done for me. However, there's also part of the Christian life tied to community and to verses like bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And there's a place that the body of Christ, not an individual, but the, but the community that we belong to plays a role in our growth and continued process in becoming more like Christ. Because what Paul said was, we, we came to you and we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He said, we did this so that you. In other words, there was something about what we did that had an effect on you. 
And so I just, I want to make sure that we as a church, because I've talked to some people and they've said, well, you know, I, I don't know like how we believe about this, or I feel like, you know, that. And I started thinking about, I'm like, I hope that nobody comes here and hears a message that says, like, I'm okay, that I don't need you to be okay for me to be okay, and thinks that that means that I'm an island isolated unto myself, and that I don't need anybody in my life for me to be okay, because that's so far from the truth when we're called to be the body of Christ. And it can become this arrogant and prideful thing where it says, like, I'm okay, even if nobody else around me is. Yeah, you're okay, but we were never called, A, to just be okay. And B, when there's commands that are tied to community that say, if we do this, this will happen, then that means that apart from that happening, this won't happen to the fullness that it could. Come on. Otherwise, the Bible just puts things out there to make verses of, you know, chapters of verse longer. And, and it, there's nothing in it that's actually significant. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this is uh, after Paul writes them. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, you're witnesses of what we did when we were there. Right? He said, you watched this. You saw that we encouraged you. We exhorted you. We implored you. We, we actually spurred you on. We encouraged you. We exhorted you. We lived. You witnessed by the testimony of our lives these things. And we did that so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you. Right? And then later in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's talking about the end times. He's challenging the church. And he's challenging them to do exactly what he did in chapter 2 and says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. You know, sometimes the way that we fight our battle is to arm other people. Do you understand that, like, sometimes you don't need me to just leave you alone for you to, to, to figure it out on your own. You actually need me to come to you and encourage you and exhort you. Because when I do that, the Bible says that I build you up. And the original Greek word there says to build as a, as a person would build a home. You, you realize, like, like, what I say to you, what you say to me can actually build each other up. And make us more capable of actually living the life that God's called us to live than if we didn't. And some people will say, well, yeah, but you know, other people's words can't hurt you. And, and that's true, but what if every time someone has spoke something negative, they missed an opportunity where they could have spoke something that was edifying? And so while their word may not hurt you, it actually didn't encourage and edify you the way that it could. What if negative speech, the greatest crime about negative speech is that it missed an opportunity to speak something that would actually edify and encourage but if it's not about me laying here wounded because of what you said, but it's about me not being built up the way that I could be if you would have spoke the thing that was good, the thing that was profitable, the thing that was edifying in the moment. You guys awake? Come on, listen, I, because here's the thing. It says, if you do this, you would build each other up. So that means if you're not doing this, what's happening? You're not being built up the way that we could be. And so... I feel like during this summer, God's asking you to speak a lot of messages that will bring a lot of clarity to just what we believe here at Outreach Church. Because I get questions from people all the time that say, well, how do we feel as a church? Like, what, what is the church's stance on this? Or what is the church's stance on that? And so can I, can I just say this? Like, you are 100% born again and okay because of what Jesus did on the cross. That because of him saying it is finished, your life is completely fulfilled in what Jesus did on the cross. Can I also say this, that sometimes the, the work of Jesus comes through the act of other people. Because people would say, well, I don't need anybody to do this because Jesus, he would be my defender. Well, that's true. Jesus also, it's also by Jesus' name that people are healed, but then he told the church to heal the sick. 
So what if it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me? So all these things that I'm saying, well, yeah, but that's G- I get that from Jesus. How do you get that from Jesus? A lot of times you get it from the Jesus that's actually in the people that he's placed around you. Not from simply just going and be by yourself. Listen, go be by yourself with Jesus. Spend time with him. But there's also a place where we're called to community with other believers where it says that we encourage and we edify and we build each other up by the words that we speak to each other. And it's not me doing it. It's Christ in me. But he has... He has actually hidden himself within each and every person. So if Christ is in you and Christ in you is the hope of glory, then that means when Jesus said that he would be your defender, he he meant literally that he would be your defender, but sometimes that looks like somebody who actually has Christ in them stepping in and being your defender in that moment. Because we wouldn't say that we healed anybody that we prayed for. I hope not. I hope we wouldn't be prideful enough to say, I healed them. It's Jesus. It's Christ in us. But Jesus said to his disciples, go and heal the sick. We would never say that we got somebody saved, but yet the Bible says that through the foolishness of preaching, God has ordained that men would be saved. So that means that if all these things we're attributing to Jesus happened by people actually doing something, then maybe Jesus doing things looks a lot like Zach standing next to you and defending you, and that's actually the Christ in him that is being your defender in that moment. When it says he's the lifter of your head, maybe it literally means that Christ and David coming alongside me when I'm having a hard time and lifting my head up by speaking truth to me and reminding me of the promises of God, that's actually Jesus doing that, that it's not David that deserves the glory for it, that it's him simply acting on what Christ has called him to, and Christ in me is actually lifting your head so that when your head is lifted, you would look and say it was Jesus, not David, but it took a person doing what God's called them to do for Christ to be who he promised to be. I didn't get even rocked by this revelation of like, why, do we, why are we okay with saying, well, you know, I didn't do that. God did about things that we do, but the things like encouraging one another and defending one another, building each other up and edifying and carrying crosses. Listen, they, they, Jesus is carrying his cross and a man comes to him and takes his cross and carries it for him. Did he need him to? No, just like, but I think that he did it because he is our example in all things. And I think it was Jesus saying, listen, if there comes a time in my life where I will let somebody else carry my cross, there should probably come a time in your life where what you're carrying is so heavy that you need someone to come along and actually carry it for you as well. If Jesus needed it, maybe there's a chance that we do. And if you never need someone else to carry your cross for you, you might not be carrying the cross he called you to carry. I'm just saying there's a chance that if Jesus allowed another man to carry the cross for him for a time, that maybe there should be some opportunity in our lives where we allow another person to come along and help carry the cross that we're called to carry. See, if we're not, if we're not careful, we, we wouldn't say it with our mouths, right? Like no one would ever be so prideful as to say, well, yeah, Jesus needed that, but not me. But does the way that we live our lives reflect that? Do we value self-sufficiency? Do we take the message of being okay in Christ so far to think that like we're okay in Christ and we're so okay in Christ that we've actually reached a place greater than the place that he was? Do you realize that he asked the disciples to come and pray in the garden with him? And when they didn't, he rebuked them for it, meaning what? There was actually a reason and a purpose that he asked them to get alone with him and pray when he was about to go to the cross. You realize if, Jesus, if it was okay for Jesus to say, hey guys, I'm facing the greatest thing I'm ever going to have to face in my life, would you come away with me and pray 
just, just come and pray with me. And that, that it might be okay for us to come to a thing and say, you know, this is one of the greatest things I've ever faced in my life. Would you, would you, would you come and pray with me? Would you join me in praying? And, and it meant something. There was value and there was purpose to what he called them to. It wasn't, he, Jesus wasn't walking along going, what should I do today? Uh, I don't know, maybe call these two to pray. He didn't have like a hat with a bunch of adjectives in it, you know, like call Peter, James to pray. And it's not like he didn't live this just like random life of, of going around haphazardly. Everything he did had purpose, it had meaning. Everything he did, if he's our example in all things, then that means when he did that, he was setting an example for us, saying, listen, there's going to be things that you face in life where you actually want to get some people that you know love you and care about you and are for you, and they're going in the same direction that you're going, that are going after the Lord. Get them and ask them to pray with you. Then he comes and he finds them sleeping, and he doesn't say, it doesn't matter, I didn't need you to pray anyways, because I'm okay. Come on, Jesus finds them sleeping and he rebukes them and says, you guys couldn't even pray for this amount of time? What's he saying? Listen, this was important. This matters. This is valuable. I asked you to do this because it actually makes a difference, not because I just wanted to waste an hour of your time. So when we see a command in here that says, build each other up and edify each other, encourage each other so that we, let me just find the verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. That word there, oikotomeo, which means to be a house builder, to construct, build, edify, and embolden. You understand that the things that we say to each other can help to build each other up. They can actually help to construct something. That means it's not just simply encouraging what you already know. That maybe there's something that you don't know that me speaking to you by the Spirit of God could actually start to build something in you. When you construct something, sometimes you just remodel, right? Like something's already there and you just come along and you shore it up. So sometimes when we're speaking truth to each other, we're just reminding each other of the truth that we already know. Because in that moment, there's something else speaking. And so you need me to come along and remind you of the truth that you already know. And you shore up what's already there. You just strengthen the foundation. When we were going through what we were going through with Aaliyah, there were so many people that would come, and they would just continually remind us of the truth that we already knew. They would continually come along. And if they could see that we were in a time, there was one time I was walking in the hospital in the morning, and I, I ran into two people. I ran into uh, Lindsay, and I ran into my wife's cousin. And they could see it all over my face, that it just had been a long, rough night. And it had been. I hadn't slept that night at all. And, and things were just going so haywire that there was doctors crying in the room. When you see resident doctors with tears in their eyes looking at your little girl, it's not good. And, and you can stand there and, and be faith man and say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But the truth of the matter is, is in that moment, even though I'm fine, I'm looking at my little girl and what I know is being tested by what I see. And I didn't allow it to bring me to the place of despair, but I'll be honest with you, I wasn't like, yes! And I had to actually leave the room because what I was seeing was starting to actually get me to a place of being shamed. This is just being truth. This makes you think less of me. It's okay. God will sort that out. But what I was seeing was bringing me to this place where it was hard to remember the promises over her life. Not that I forgot them, but it was challenging it. And so I walked out of the room, and I just started praying. And I ran into two people, and both of those people looked at me and said, Come here. Come here. Listen, I know this is hard. God's going to heal her. It's going to be okay. I promise you it's going to be okay. Listen, you, you just, just take some deep breaths. Get some sleep, relax, and remember, 
Like, God has his hand all over. I mean, they just started speaking truth to me. And it was like healing. It was just like this thing of coming because all I was hearing and all I was seeing was negative. And then all of a sudden, someone came along that believed a greater truth. Because, you know, there's truth and then there's a greater truth. So what the doctors are saying is true medically. But then there's this greater truth that God is speaking. And so what I'm hearing is true, but what I'm hearing is truer. And suddenly what is truer has a greater impact on me and on what I feel and believe in the moment than what I'm seeing. And I'm not a robot. I didn't like go, well, I just don't believe that in Jesus. I could, I, you're not a robot. You feel these things. It doesn't mean that you don't have feelings. It just means that you don't let feelings be more important than truth. And you don't live by what you feel. You live by what he said. But this I can promise you, they feel in the moment real. And sometimes it just helps to have somebody come along and say, listen, I know right right now this looks bad. I know right now this looks hard. And I know right now it feels like you're never going to be through this. But I promise you there's breakthrough coming. Just keep standing and believing. And all of a sudden what they're saying is speaking a greater truth. And it starts building you up. And it starts shoring up the foundation. It starts reinforcing those walls that maybe got battered a little bit by the storm. And the planks that started coming a little bit loose by the wind. They just come and they just nail those things down tight. And suddenly you're back in that place where your eyes are fixed back on truth. And you remember the truth rather than the truth that you were seeing. And now all of a sudden you've been edified, you've been built up, you've been encouraged, and you're walking according to the manner of which you were called. And you walk back into the room, and nothing's changed maybe in the natural, but something's changed inside of you because of what people around you have done, because of the encouragement, and because of them building you up. And you walk back in that room, and you see the same thing you saw before, but you look with different eyes because your perspective's been fixed, because your head's been lifted. And it was Jesus who did it, but it was Jesus in the form of two people, because Christ in us is the hope of glory. We, we need this, you guys. We need this. Nobody, listen, I, I, the statement, I, I, I don't need you to be okay, is totally true if we're talking individually. Like, in other words, if you're not going to treat me the way that the Bible calls you to treat me, it won't harm me and keep me from being who God's called me to be. But there's a greater command given to the body of believers, which coincidentally is made up by individuals. So it means every one of us should actually take this personally and believe that it does depend on me and live as though it depends on me. Because if everybody said, well, I don't want to be that way, but I'm sure there's somebody in the body that will be. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying cast off your, your responsibility for living this way because you're part of a body and surely somebody within the body will. He's just saying that if one part of the body is not going to act the way that they should because their eyes are taken off of truth, you'll still be fine because you don't need every individual to be okay for you to be okay. But there is this place where we need each other to be who God's called us to be so that we can A, fulfill the law of Christ and so B, that we can walk in a manner worthy of that which we're called. And there's a level of walking in the fullness of God that we will not see if we don't actually live this way and speak this way towards one another, about one another, and to each other. I just, I want to make sure we understand that. Because otherwise you become this island to yourself. And, and now all of a sudden everything depends on you. And listen, hear me when I say this. No individual person is an excuse for you not being like Christ. But the Bible says that if we as a body would build each other up and encourage each other, that we would walk according to the manner in which we were called. It says that we would fulfill the law of Christ. If we want to walk the way he's called us to walk, it means that every person needs to be who God's called them to be and needs to be obedient to the thing that God's called them to be. Listen, he says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. 
What if casting my cares on Jesus looks like me allowing someone to share my burden that actually has Jesus in them? I can go to him personally in prayer, and I believe in doing that, and I want us to do that. Be people. We talk about that a lot here, seeking him in the alone time and seeking him when you're by yourself, and I believe in this, but I'm also saying that if Jesus is present in the people whom he inhabits, if it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, if that statement's true for every believer and not just the Apostle Paul, then why can't casting my cares on him look like me coming to someone that I know is full of him and allowing part of my cares to be cast onto them and sharing with them my burden so that they can encourage Courage, speak truth, and walk with me and hold my arms up when they get weak. See, because here's the thing. We have no problem saying when we pray for someone they get healed, it was Jesus that did it. We have no problem saying when we preach the gospel and someone gets saved that it was Jesus that did it. Why on earth would we have a problem when we are called to cast our cares on Jesus if that looks like actually casting them on another believer? What if we actually mean a whole lot more to each other than we've ever believed? What if knowing Jesus in part is contained in knowing him through the people that he's placed around us in our life and in community with? Because if, if Christ in me is the hope of glory for the world, and that means there's part of Jesus that's contained in me that the world actually needs for the glory of God to be revealed. So what if closing ourselves off to this stuff, we actually close ourselves off to the one that we're trying to say that we're finding our stuff in? I'm okay, I'll just go to Jesus. What if Jesus actually called us to actually go to each other? What if the book of James says that we should confess our sins one to another that we may be healed? What if James didn't say confess your sins to Jesus? I'm not saying you can't do that. But James wanted there to be a vulnerability amongst believers where they were okay talking about things that they were going through, that they were dealing with, that they were struggling with, so that we could actually encourage one another, build each other up. I'm not saying, look, everyone's a mess. I'm saying that at some point in your life, you deal with things. And the way that you deal with them in the church and the body of believers should be the way Jesus dealt with them when he actually faced things. If Jesus was okay saying, I need people to come and pray with me, you should probably be okay with saying, I need people to come and pray with me. If Jesus allowed another man to carry his load for a little while, you should be okay saying, hey, if someone comes along and says, look, man, I, I, I can see that right now you're just, you're carrying so much. What is it that I can help you with? How can I help you? How can I care? You know how many people came to the hospital and looked at me and said, hey, what can I do to help? They're not saying, wow, you weak, pitiful person. They're saying, I see that you're carrying something super heavy right now, and it would be a joy of mine if I could come alongside you and help you and carry part of that for a little while. Would you let me? You know, it takes strength and humility to actually say, yeah, could you do this? You understand it took humility for Jesus to not look at Simon and say, you think I need your help? I can carry this myself. I don't need you. You realize it took way greater courage and strength for him to allow someone else to come along and carry that cross because you have to humble yourself to actually allow someone to carry your burden for a little while. And that takes a whole lot more strength than pridefully grabbing that thing and dragging it along while someone's trying to walk with you and help you. I'm just going to close over this. During the summer, I I want to really go through a lot of the things that that we believe here and make sure that we understand both sides of it because there is a both and to a lot of the things that we teach. And so you will hear someone say, listen, I am so set free 
that, that I'm actually free from you. I don't need you to be okay. And there's so much truth in that, meaning this, that, that I don't need you to treat me the way Christ has called me to treat you to treat me for me to cre- treat you the way Christ has called me to treat you. I can bless you if you curse me. I can love you if you spitefully use me. I can actually love you if you hate me. In fact, I'm called to because Jesus said, what good is it if you love those who love you in return, even the Gentiles, even the ones who don't know God as their father, they do that. But I tell you to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, love those who spitefully use you. So there is a part of that that says, like, you're living your life the way Christ has called you to live. It's not going to change me living my life the way Christ has called me to live. And that is so true on one side of the coin. But then on the other side of the coin, there's verses that say things like, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You understand that that means that there's no way that I can love you the way I love myself, which is the law of Christ, unless I'm willing to bear your burdens. And there's no way that you can be loved the way God's called you to be loved unless you would allow someone else to bear your burdens. I want us to just just take that home and chew on the fact that what if it really is Christ in us? It no longer is I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then that means that the things that Jesus commanded us to do with him, maybe we can do with each other. So maybe when he said heal the sick, he wasn't meaning like you in your own strength go heal the sick, but go in my strength. Maybe he said when, by the foolishness of gospel, men would be saved. He wasn't meaning by your own wisdom and by your own strength when you preach the gospel that men would be saved. He was meaning that it's me in you. You just go be obedient and allow me in you to do what I've called you to do. So what if when he says things like, cast your cares on him for he cares for you? It looks like finding someone that's full of Jesus and saying, not on your shoulders, but on his. I want to put some of this if that's okay. I've been having a hard time with this lately or, or, you know, I've been facing this and dealing with this or there's been this constant voice that I've been hearing lately. And I just want to invite you in. Would you come and would you pray with me? If he did it, there's a good chance that at some point in our lives we'll need to. And if we have a hard time with that, maybe we should just ask him Why? God, why do I have a hard time? Is it because I have an illusion of perfection I'm trying to keep? Listen, I have news for you. No one thinks you're perfect anyways. So let me set you free from that right now. Nobody thinks you're perfect. (laughs) By admitting that you're not. Listen, I know we're perfect in Christ. I'm saying nobody thinks that you act perfectly 100% of the time. I believe that you are perfect in Christ. I believe that you are in perfection. I believe that you're called to walk in the same way that he walked. I believe that, that if you sin, not when you sin, is the norm and the ex- expectation of the Christian life. I also know this. If there's places where he calls us to do these things, it's because he thought there was a good chance that we would need to. And if he tied fulfilling the law of love to doing these things, then there's a good chance that you probably will need to. Both carry and allow someone to carry. God, I just thank you for that. I, I just ask God that, that we would, this, the, the idea of self-sufficiency that is so valued in society, God, that is so anti the kingdom, 
God, that, that you said that, that you can't even have a complete body without everybody being the part that you've called them to be. God, that you didn't just place your body in one person, but you called the church, the people who follow you, that are called according to your name, that love you, that have made you their Lord. God, you called them to be your body on earth. Some to be a hand and some to be a foot. Some to be eyes and some to be mouth. And the word says that if the foot says I'm not part of the body, doesn't make it any less a part of the body. It just means the body's missing a foot. God, I pray that we would see you in each other. That we would see no man according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That we would see you in each other, God. We would allow each other to be who you've called us to be for each other. God, that we would see the value in the community of believers that you've placed us in. And we would never be so prideful, God, as to put ourselves as above Jesus. That we would never feel a pressure, God, to put on an act. That we would allow ourselves, God, to be open and honest with each other. You know, it says if, if there be sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. You, you realize that like that takes the person who's sick actually calling for the elders of the church and recognizing and, and admitting that they have a sickness that they need the elders of the church for? It doesn't say if they're sick among you, stand there and say, I'm not sick in Jesus' name. It says you recognize what is going on, and then you also believe and you act according to the response that's given to you in Scripture. And it doesn't make you weak. Doesn't make you less of a Christian. Makes you obedient. Makes you trusting. Keeps us humble. Makes sure that we're open to everything that He wants to give and all that He wants to do. I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>